Announcement. The revolution will not be televised. I repeat, the hemp revolution will not be televised. Welcome to the Hemp Revolution Podcast, the global hotspot for the buzz and the cannabis. Hear the secrets of the green rush from the dreamers who are writing the rules, innovating business, and changing history forever. Immerse yourself with the fascinating stories from the leaders in the hemp health revolution to learn how we are changing the game. Now here's your hosts, James Brinkerhoff and Sonia Gomez. What's up, guys? Sonia Gomez coming to you from Denver, Colorado. This is another badass, lady boss-infused episode of the Hemp Revolution podcast. I'm your hostess with the mostest and super excited to be here with you guys yet once again. In today's episode, as you know, we are committed to sharing and telling the stories of the people behind the products. And in today's episode, we are going to be visiting and taking a walk through memory lane with a amazing lady boss in the industry, somebody with over 20 years experience as a TV journalist and news anchor in Indiana, Las Vegas, Boston, and Detroit. After eight years as the morning anchor for Fox 2 Detroit, Anquinette retired due to the effects of multiple sclerosis through changes in diet, using cannabis, and other natural ways of approaching her and managing her symptoms. And Quinette went from taking nine medications a day to taking absolutely none and became an advocate for teaching others to lessen their dependency on pharmaceuticals and move more towards the natural and holistic benefits that you can find if you take it upon yourself to do so here to share her story about how she co-founded Botanic Q, a cannabis provisionary sent pro- provisioning. Gosh. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> I got tongue tied in my own shit. <laughs> okay. As she is here to tell us the story about how she co-founded Botanic Q, ladies and gentlemen, help me to welcome Anne Quinette or Q Safro. Sarfo, sorry, girl. That's okay. And yeah, it's just real quick. It is—it's botanic, but everybody says botanic Q. Um, but yeah, maybe I should. Well, the Q is big. Okay, botanic. Right. Right. No, you know that's yeah. It, it goes back and forth, but that's okay. It doesn't matter because actually, botanic today will be sold. Um, Are you selling it really? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Let's like start it. the show with a celebration. Are you happy about that? I am. I am. You know, it's um. You, you get into this business and, and the goal is, so, you know, we, we thought that, okay, so we'll, we'll build it up and somebody will come along in a couple of years, maybe five or so, and um, like what we've done and they'll, they'll buy it. So instead of five years, it took five months. So no way. Uh, <laughs> way, way. That's awesome. Okay. Let's start at the beginning. Cause I want to hear all about the exit. There's some pretty significant exits happening right now too. Um, oh, yeah. So this is like, so exciting to be able to hear and to celebrate with you. Why don't we start at the beginning though? How did you get involved with the cannabis and hemp movement in the first place? Well, um, about five years ago, I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis and I was put on a host of medications, nine, as you mentioned earlier. And unfortunately, I was still sick all the time. I was going to the hospital because they, um, I could not stop throwing up. Um, and, uh, which was horrible. 
And so after the third trip to the hospital where I was pumped with uh, morphine, which is not nice if you're in pain, and, <laughs> and, um, and intravenous muscle relaxants, my husband said, why don't you just smoke a joint? And I was like, okay, well, maybe I'll smoke a joint. Because at that point, I was really tired of throwing up. And um, I smoked a joint and the nausea went away almost instantaneously. But what I did not expect was the energy. Um, this particular strain, Gorilla Glue, um, gave me energy to the point where I am. Um, I was able to wean myself from 80 milligrams of Adderall, which was wow. shocking. Yeah, because Adderall also, nice pharmaceutical if you need it. If not, though, it spikes your blood pressure 40 points like it did for me. And I did need it, though, but it, it, I had some, some uh, side effects because of it. So yeah, so I started off... Um, just um, using it for nausea, and I found that I was able to not use as many of my other drugs, eventually not using any of my other drugs. And then I, I realized that while I could come home from my job at Fox every day and at 10.30 in the, in the morning, because I got off work at 10, <laughs> and so at 10 o'clock in the morning that I, I could come home and, and have two puffs off of my vaporizer and go on about my day, I felt that it was hypocritical and just flat out wrong that people were in jail for this. It's a plant and uh, you, sh you should be able to grow it, you smoke it, eat it, do whatever. And so um, I got involved in the, um, I, I left my job because of memory loss. People think, oh my gosh, you just, you, you quit the box and you went into cannabis. I didn't. Um, I'm actually, I am medically retired. I'm on disability. And um, I have I have a significant short-term memory loss and it's exacerbated um, as the hours go on. So um, I did decide to leave my job at the insistent, at the suggestion of four doctors. And, um, wow. and in, my, in my time off, I was like, well, you know, this is a cause that, could, um, that needs a few more voices. So I decided to lend my, my voice to the legalization cause. Got involved in legalization here. Um, we were successful in 2018. No, 2016. Was 2016? <laughs> yes. Um, all the all the years of learning together. But um, and yes. where are you right now? Where are you? Oh, um, we are in. Um, I'm in Detroit. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yes. Well, I live in Farmington, but uh, but yeah. So um, I'm, I'm, I'm. I have Mar family in Livonia. Oh, I'm right down the street from Livonia. I was there yesterday. Okay. <laughs> um, so yeah, so um, I got involved in, in legalization um, movement. And um, while that was going on, we, my husband and I were approached by a group that was trying to, um, to um, open a provisioning center. They're called provisioning centers in Michigan. Nobody knows how to say it, by the way. We all still say dispensary. But legally, <laughs> we have to say provisioning center. I got tongue-tied because I'm dyslexic. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, so yeah, so we were asked to to um, help them in their efforts to open a provisioning center in the Corktown neighborhood of Detroit. And so we joined that group, and we were successful. And we opened on Election Day, um, almost a year ago. We opened on Election Day, and then that was the same day that uh, it passed. So yeah, so that's what the twenty eighteen election. Hello, <laughs> I'm losing my years here. So yeah, so um, yeah, it was um, passed. Actually, no. Doesn't matter. It passed rec a recreational pass um, um, a year ago in November on election day, and so we opened our doors on that day. And uh, yeah, a couple of months ago, we were approached by an out-of-state company to uh, buy our, um, our our company, and um, we all said yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. And uh, yeah, so now my husband and I are working on some other projects. We get to spread our wings. I still want to start a bakery line. I'm still working on that. Um, some some products that will address the needs of people who don't smoke. But um, but yeah, it's um, it's been a wild and crazy ride that keeps going. <laughs> I'm sure. Well, we have similar backgrounds in the sense that my journey with cannabis started with um, also a pretty significant uh, injury. I was I was surfing and got thrown off my board and. It was just a whole mess. It triggered a whole syndrome inside of me that was unofficially diagnosed at reflex sympathetic dystrophy and thoracic outlet syndrome. And in my teenage years was put on over seven medications, stuff to wake me up and put me down and, you know, just keep me even. And um, what was happening, I I was losing the battle. I mean, I was so depressed. I had gained a hundred pounds. My life as I knew it was just completely dissolving in front of me. And where I was, you know, this healthy, vibrant teenage girl, I turned into this super depressed, you know, Mm. just sad and um, feel on, I was not functioning. I was certainly not functioning. And I finally got into contact with somebody who, um, taught me about my endocannabinoid system, taught me about microdosing, you know, strain selection, um, phytonutrients, hemp nutrients. It was really, really cool to go through the transformation. And within three months, I got off my prescription. Six months, I was off all over the counter. And within nine months, I had lost a hundred pounds. Go ahead, girl. Yes, I know. So um, it was all right at the same time that cannabis was legalizing here in Colorado. And when my rights as a California patient were violated, I went to toe to toe with the legal system and ended up here in Colorado after winning that battle and, um, and helped write the legislation here in Colorado. And it's been an incredible ride ever since. Now I primarily do media because I don't think anyone's properly covering, you know, and exposing and sharing the true tales. Of, um, and thank you for doing it. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. These stories yeah. here. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think, I think it's a, I think it's such an interesting um, process to go through. Actually, one of my original clients, when I first started the media exposure and no one could figure out advertising and everyone was afraid of doing anything online. Um, we got this client, Pure Canna, who actually just sold for over 90 million last week. Wow. And um, we did like, you know, the first advertising campaign and like some consulting for them or whatever, nothing major, but it was just enough to, for me to feel like, right. (laughs) We're making headway. Um, so when you're building up a company in this space and I'm just going to dive right in because I think a lot of entrepreneurs are sort of on that track. They're like listening to this podcast right now and wondering, she built that up in five months. Like I've been at this five years and I want out. How do I get my exit? So I'd love to hear from you. Like, what do you think it was about your business that made it attractive for a buyer? Oh, um, well, I have to say that, that, um, our establishment came with, with quite a bit of notoriety. Um, I was, um, our newscast was the number one newscast. It was a very popular newscast and, and I was part of it for eight years. And so, um, when I left, I, I left sort of, I, I just kind of disappeared for six months and people don't know what's going on. <laughs> and then, um, 
and, and then when I announced, um, and I, when I announced my retirement, I, I, with my retirement announcement, I said I was going into, um, into legalization. And so I think that, um, because of that, we got a lot of attention. On top of it, it was always our goal to to make a provisioning center that was um, different from the ones that um, people were used to here in Michigan. Uh, Michigan has had a medical marijuana program for 10 years. And so in Detroit in particular, had a problem because they had um, over 200 unlicensed uh, provisioning centers. And um, and they had... Um, a negative uh, perception from the public and um, that people just pretty much saw them as drug dens. And even though they weren't, I'm not saying that they were, but but that was the perception. It was just a place where people would go and just buy illegal, illegal products. And so we told people that, you know, I'm a person who utilizes this as medicine, but I also um, support uh, people's right to use it in a recreational, um, in a recreational way. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and then we also wanted our provisioning center to be more of a welcoming space for women and also a space where people can really take the time in an unintimidating environment and really learn about how to use this plant as medicine. So some of our bud tenders would take up to an hour with some patients at some point. So we were, we were, um, um, like four months into, uh, after opening, we were voted most knowledgeable staff. So um, we um, we really tried to cultivate an environment where um, our goal was um, alleviate, um, elevate, and educate. So alleviate pain and suffering in our communities, elevate the image of cannabis and the people who use it, and educate on its safe and effective use. And so that was our motto day in and day out. And I think that it resonated with not just patients, but also um, buyers. It also um, didn't hurt that... Um, the neighborhood is an up-and-coming neighborhood. It's very popular, and um, and and um, and it, it's it's growing, and and it's um, I don't want to say gentrifying, but I guess in lack of a better term, it is. It's a, it's a neighborhood that is gentrifying, and so um, the location is great, and um, the the um, the reputation is also great. So I think that that um, that's definitely a part of it. Uh, of so- couple things I hear you saying, and I'm just like extracting out from how you're explaining your success, some things that another company or entrepreneur might consider bringing into their business. Number one thing I heard you say was leveraging your celebrity or notoriety to gain recognition for your cause. And that's huge. I think a lot of, I think a lot of entrepreneurs, for those of you guys who are listening, pay close attention to this. Um, But I think we miss the boat in marketing and how we position our companies, um, you know, through the endorsement of familiar faces, Um, you know, companies who are aligning themselves with people who already have a built-in following, a recognizable face, you know, a recognizable name. These things build the buzz in your community um, that you're opening up in. And if you're an online presence, allows you to access a broader audience because who you and your brand target may not be in you know, may not be accessing this other crowd. So gaining a spokesperson or leveraging celebrity, um, if you don't build it up yourself, and I highly suggest that you build an internal celebrity uh, for Mm -hmm. your brand, someone who is behind, um, or, you know, the face of your brand. 
Um, but the, that, that's one of the main things I hear you saying is that you were a recognizable face. You had a recognizable cause when you moved into cannabis that sort of that following sort of was like, what's going on over there? Let's see what's happening over there too. Um, and then the second thing I hear you saying is location, location, yeah. location, location. <laughs> First rule of business is right. located and knowing that, you know, you're going to be in some place that is, that is growing, that is becoming more, that is relevant and becoming more relevant and desirable, that it has the foot traffic, um, and road traffic that you want it Mm -hmm. to have and has the clientele that you want to be serving. I mean, I I've seen so many dispensaries put up a ton of money to move into conservative neighborhoods and they die because it's Mm -hmm. just not the right demographic. Whereas the same, another dispensary can go into a neighborhood that, you know, probably has five to seven years of development to come. Maybe the first two years are a little bit of a struggle, but I'll tell you, they establish themselves in there and are, and become like wildly successful, just extremely Mm -hmm. successful because they're growing with the community. So location, leveraging celebrity. And then the final thing I heard you say was really having a moral code that your community can buy into and then depend on. Mm -hmm. Your 3E system sounds really super cool. Um, And I love the alleviate, educate, and what was the final? Elevate. Elevate. Alleviate, Mm -hmm. elevate, and educate. Those are great ones. And that's an easy Mm -hmm. one for people in your community to sign into and follow along with. What were some of your, um, what are some of your like peak months in revenue that like when you're getting acquired, you, uh, for me, just what I've seen in in helping to facilitate these types of relationships, um, you have to be, you know, doing a steady number of revenue. You have to have, you know, some things working well in your business. Sure, there can be other things that are not so well that they can immediately fix when they acquire. Um, Mm -hmm. But really what they're looking at is like, what are the revenue? How consistent is that revenue? Um, You know, what's the brand recognition or notoriety that that is being built here? And how can we can how can we 10x those results? So give me a ballpark of your guys's revenue. And Sorry. I'm sorry. I can't. It's because oh, it's okay. now it's in part, it, it's all part of, um, those, um, negotiations or. Oh, whatever. I see. I see. Yeah. I see. Okay. So yeah, if you, let me ask you a different I can, question. I can't, I can give you, I can give you uh, some, some, some ballparks in some places, okay, perfect. In Detroit, you know, or in this area make anywhere between, uh, $5,000 a day to $25,000. Wow. It's, um, it, it's, that's the, um, that's, that's the range. So some of the more popular, um, some of the, the busier dispensaries or mm-hmm. maybe before legalization, um, they were, they were, um, reported to be making up to $50,000 a day. Right. I got, we didn't have those numbers just so people don't come to my house. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't have numbers like that. Our, our, um, and also we didn't have that sort of, um, we didn't have that type of inventory to um, to to um, to bring in numbers like that. So our our um, our um, mode of operating was, I guess, a, a bit different. Not that not, we didn't necessarily want to have a sort of mom and pop shop, but within our within our internal dialogue, there were there were discussions and disagreements on um, on how much supply and how much we should we should stock um, mm-hmm. um, our shelves. Our Right now, there's a shortage going on, but there was like one time when we had like one strain of flour wow. on the shelf. And right now, I think we have eight. But some of our our major competitors have 
20, 40, 50. So, um, so yeah, so our, our, um, our, um, supply and just our, our, the way that we did things were, was a bit different. And also, and that was a part of, um, there were, there were disagreements about that. My husband and I, we wanted to be more in line with our competition. We wanted to be able to offer many more products. Yeah. More Um, diversity. Right. Right. And, and our, and our investors, (laughs) um, did not want that. So um, at the end of the day, it's uh, the people who are paying um, the bills or writing the checks, they write the rules. Yeah. And so, um, so that, was a, that was another re- thing that sort of drove um, our decision to sell was because we had um, a, different, a difference of opinion on how the business should be run and what it should look like. So, so yeah, so that was part of it. But I think that we were bought um, not just based on our, on, on our sales figures now, because I... I um, there are places I'm sure that have better sales figures, but um, it's because of the the projection. It's it's the potential. Yeah. Um, they are. I mean, we we live in a in a, um, an underserved community right now. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, uh, two blocks over, they're building condos for four hundred and fifty thousand yeah. dollars. So right, it, it's um. So the the neighborhood is in transition, and I think that they're looking at what will happen once that transition is complete. So and that's part of it. Yeah, I love that. I, I, um, you and I experienced something really similar in uh, the owning the dispensary. We were mm-hmm. one of the first hundred licensed dispensaries in Colorado. We were in a fantastic location, up and coming neighborhood. I mean, where I was, I was lived right down the street from there. And you know, when I owned the dispensary, I was spending maybe fourteen hundred dollars the month on rent for a three bedroom, three bath on like a little oh, three quarters oh. of an acre. Okay. Yeah. So it was like this really cute up and coming neighborhood down the street from a hospital, perfect location. Um, But our investors, investors, they didn't want to market. They didn't want to, they didn't want to invest into inventory. They were like, we just need, all we need is enough to keep the doors open. And I had every major TV station. I mean, MSNBC, Bravo, History Channel, MTV, Mm -hmm. all E-Network were all coming out to check out what we were doing in our dispensary. We were mentioned on like Jimmy Kimmel Live for a cans for cones, like food drive that we did. And they were like, no more. They cut us off from advertising. They cut us off from wholesaling. They didn't want us to do it. They were just like, why do you need more than four strains? Why do you need more than five strains? I was like, because I sell out in one. I'm like, you want me to break the ceiling on this thing? Like, I'm going to need some more resources. Um, And it never, it just, it was always such a battle. So we ended up um, selling our shares in, in the company and moving into an online education space, but it can be really, really challenging. Especially, mm-hmm. And so many people were forced into partnerships here in Colorado. I'm not sure what it looks like there in Michigan, but here you had to be vertically integrated and you had to be producing 70% of what you were selling. And, you know, you had to be growing yeah. and like all of this stuff. I mean, just, it was such a cluster that people were forced mm-hmm. into exchanging ownerships of their grows um, or of oh. their stores. And now, it, I mean, the last five years has just been like this ridiculous battle of the <laughs> battle right, of the losses, basically. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And people are having to sever partnerships because the landscape of the industry has completely changed. And now you can be an independent 
you know, mm-hmm. wholesaler or manufacturer, or whatever, whereas before you couldn't. Um, what's it like over there in Michigan? Do you guys have separate licenses? Do you have to be fully vertical? Can you operate independently? You can operate independently. Um, you, it's, it's, it's more advantageous, we found, to be vertically integrated because right now there is a shortage. Um, so, um, but, you know, and also you, what we have had happen here in Michigan is you have a lot of people who, um, you're allowed to stack licenses. So the, the, the largest class of licensure is a class C grow, and that's 1,500 plants. You are allowed to stack the 1,500 plant license. So you have some people who are, you know, getting 20, you know, um, class C licenses, but then they're not, they're not growing plants. They are just getting the licenses and maybe just kind of ramping up. Um, there's speculation. They're just doing that just so they can just buy, you know, be bought out quickly and not even put a plant in the ground. But in the interim, you have a, a, a severe shortage. And what Michigan is dealing with is for 10 years, you had caregivers who, um, I was a caregiver too. Basically, you get a marijuana card and then if you want to be a caregiver, you, you get five other people and you can grow 12 plants for, you know, per person up to mm-hmm. 72 plants total. Mm-hmm. And so the people who were growing 72 plants, they were the ones supplying flour to all of the medical marijuana, med- medical marijuana provisioning centers all over the state. Well, now the state is getting rid of the caregiver system because they, they want it to uh, transition into a more commercial system. They want the taxes, girl. <laughs> right, right. So, They're trying to get them taxes. And so they're trying to steer everybody into this caregiver, into this commercial system, but you have the commercial growers who aren't growing. And then you have the caregivers who have all of this product that, you know, they can't sell to provisioning centers. And so, of course, it ends up on the black market. Yeah. Okay. Where right, right now we have hundreds of delivery services that are all illegal. And uh, they are allowed to, yeah, they are allowed to, to um, just say, hey, buy this candy bar for $50 and we will gift you an eighth of weed. <laughs> and that's legal. Yeah. No, <laughs> stop it. They're selling $50 Snickers over there. <laughs> They're like, let me get, let me get that $100 clock bar. <laughs> Exactly. I'll take a drumstick. Right. So, yeah, so we're dealing with stuff like that um, in in Michigan. And then, you know, um, Friday, on November 1st, that's when the recreational, the adult use licenses are are available. You can start submitting those. But there isn't enough flour for the medical um, uh, market right now. So there's there's a projection that recreational adult use sales won't happen until maybe anywhere from March to June of next year. So, um, yeah. And in the meantime, you have all these caregivers with flour and, uh, we're also seeing that a lot of the flour can't pass testing. So you have caregivers that are growing things so that, you know, we can't sell anyway. And then once the state sees that you have taken in, um, product that did not pass testing, they're at your door the next day to make sure you burn it. What are, what are the, um, what are the provisions for testing? What specific, I mean, state to state, and I wish they would have just standardized, like, you know, here's the criteria, doesn't matter what state you're in, here's the criteria. And I'm sure that'll happen once we legalize federally, but in Michigan, what specifically are, what makes a plant, um, or product unsellable? 
testing positive for certain banned pesticides, um, going over quantities for, um, you know, heavy metals and, and lead and things like that. Um, I, don't, I don't know the, the quantity of parts per billion breakdown. That's okay. For- for certain ones, but but mostly mostly the the, the banned pesticides and um, and heavy metals and mold actually because yeah we um <laughs> we had a batch of organically grown um, cannabis uh, almost thirty thousand dollars worth that failed for E. coli and no, uh, stop yeah <laughs> yeah and so the state was there the next day to see if we uh, destroyed it we at that time we gave it back to the grower which we're, we now we now know that's not allowed but yeah they wanted us to destroy thirty thousand dollars worth of really beautiful flour and um yeah but and we all know that and granted you don't want to necessarily take any coli but if you're smoking it you're, you're burning that off <laughs> so yeah um but so anyway, yeah. so I'm consulting, like- I'm consulting a few people right now who are like trying to make their way into the cannabis industry. And I'm just like, um, how can I say this in the nicest possible way? Don't do it. Um, right. <laughs> I'm like cannabis, the cannabis industry is crazy. And if you don't have a high, I mean, you have got to have a rhinoceros kind of hide to get, you just mm-hmm. need to be made out of straight sheet metal to get into the, I'm telling you because every single day it's something else. You bought product, you're like all excited to put it into jars and get it out onto the shelf. And all of a sudden you you read the test results and you're like, did I literally just lose $30,000? Like, how am I going to, you know, how, how do you recover that without having to invest more money? If somebody changes a license, you know, then you have to resubmit for your revisions. Then you, I mean, it is, So there's no time in all of my years of being in cannabis. And I love the industry. Like, believe Mm -hmm. me when I say I love the industry. Um, But I, it's a love hate relationship in the sense, like, Mm -hmm. there's never been a time where I felt like, okay, great. We hit the milestone. We're good. We're on cruise control. Let's just start to refine and you know, stabilize these channels that are doing really, it's never mm-hmm. been like that. It's always <laughs> like, you know, balls to the wall, freaking nails on the chalkboard. It, every single day you're like, look, giving yourself, a pep talk. yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Giving yourself a pep talk in the mirror being like, what am I going to be faced with today? Lord Jesus, help me. <laughs> like, just, yeah, it is so crazy. And yet, more and more people are getting in. What um, what would you say were the top three challenges that you encountered in the last five months of building mm-hmm. your brand and company? Oh, okay. Um, disagreements with our investors. <laughs> That's the top one. Yeah. Uh, um, um, the... Hmm... Not having what I know people need um, right now because we have. Um, I'm going off on a tangent here. Um, so, yeah, so, so let me go back up. So one is disagreements with with um, with, with investors. Second is um, not having what uh, patients need for a variety of reasons. Be it the ones who make really great items aren't licensed. Be it um, there's just not enough licensed uh, supply in the in the chain right now, mm-hmm. but the the supply issues, the the, the, the varying supply issues, that mm-hmm. that's a big one, and um, 
And I would say uh, right now, um, lax enforcement of, um, of, of rule breakers. For example, um, I, I mentioned the, um, the delivery drivers, but the big thing right now is, and this is this happening in California too, I think they've, they've sort of done something about it, but weed maps. You know, we have very limited options in which to advertise in this industry. I try to put up a post on Facebook and they instantly take it down. Even if I just mention the word cannabis, it doesn't matter that I have 30,000 followers. It's only going to be sent to about 1,500 people. So so we're already constrained um, by all of these marketing rules. Meanwhile, alcohol doesn't have those rules, but never mind. Um, and, and so yeah, so so that 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 you can't advertise is is um is is a big problem. And so now you have a company like Weed Maps, and it's one of our few avenues of advertisement. And so that they put us on the same platform with illegal operators is really unfair. So that that I'm I'm out there competing, um, and and, and my ad is right next to an ad for someone who is illegal. And and then um, I feel that that's not that's not right. You know, you can't you can't advertise for prostitution. And in and, and places, so why are they allowed to advertise for something that is obviously illegal? Um, it shouldn't be able to. I mean, did they? Did, I'm not. I'm not advocating for people to go back to prison and back to jail and all that. But there needs to be some sort of enforcement. If that's the case, then why are you charging us sixty six thousand dollars per year for our license on top of the application fees, on top of the lawyer fees? all of this stuff and then to stock the store to have you know 15 to 20 employees to to constantly be compliant when you know joe blow you can do whatever the heck he wants he's um, selling 50 dollar clark bars that's it's frustrating it's it's maddening it's maddening yeah. yeah. Oh, so, yeah mean, so, that's, so and back to the supply thing. So I was I was gonna say that um, like there is a guy who makes a really great arthritis frame. Um, so much so that I I I have uh, people with MS um who say you know I, can you get me ten jars of that of that cream? <laughs> people with arthritis and and he's still not licensed, but he has a great product that I have to call him up and say, well, can I can I get a fifty dollar candy bar? And can you? <laughs> And you throw in 20 jars of your cream. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, so that, that it shouldn't it shouldn't be that way. That, that we're we're a year we're a year into legalization and we're 11 years into medical um, medical marijuana here in Michigan. Things should be um, things should be a little more concrete. Yeah, I agree. Where I mean. Let's see, over here, 2009, I mean, theoretically, we've been open for medical in Colorado since the year 2000, but really in 2009 is when a couple of people like got a bug and were like, fuck it, I'm going to just lease someplace out right here on Broadway and start selling weed. They were like, well, if they're going to do it on Broadway, I'm going to do it over here on Main Street. And then they were Mm -hmm. like, well, fuck y'all, I'm going to get down here. And then like all of a sudden we had a thousand dispensaries and they were like, whoa, what Hickam Looper and the Department of Revenue were like, hold the phone, people. Like, let's go ahead and develop out this legislation to make sure that we get our cut too. And I was, (laughs) and that's when I came in and I cannot believe it's been that long. Cannabis time is super condensed. It is. It's like dog years. It is like dog years. I and I swear to you, I was I was coming out of California in like Mendocino, Humboldt area, the the absolute mm. hub and mecca of cannabis. And coming into Colorado, I was like, these guys 
there's no way. And I was so astonished to see how quickly they progressed past what California has ever done. Yeah. Um, and then how quickly after medical was passed that they brought recreational adult use in. And even still, the, the hockey stick growth that we experience as an industry here, um, I mean, it, it's been incredible to watch. Yeah witness. Um, but at the same time, it's a little bit frustrating too, because I, I'm a mother of four kids. Um, okay. and <laughs> I, you know, so, um, when I think about or listen to my kids or my kids' friends talk about cannabis or talk about any of its derivatives, um, you know, I got a 17 year old, so, you know, he's trying to get his, right. So, I'm like, <laughs> so, you know, for me, it's frustrating because I, I'm wondering, is the education in the communities growing as quickly as the industry and as the access? And um, I'm curious to see what the landscape looks like over there in Michigan. Do you feel like the education for our youth or for our families is growing as quickly as the industry and the availability of product? I think the interest is growing. I don't know if it's actually been realized, but I know that I, I, I have more and more people reaching out to me. And I think the more we, um, those of us in the position can, can initiate these conversations, the more education um, can, can be um, distributed. So like, for example, I mean, I, I, um, I did a tea party. <laughs> Um, a couple of months in June, I did a tea party and I, I wanted it to be for women only because women uh, tend to be the ones who are, tend to be very hesitant about cannabis. You know, guys are like, bring it. <laughs> um, and uh, women are like, no, it's horrible. You're going to ruin your life. And um, so, yeah, so I, um, I wanted to just have about 20 people. It ended up being 58. <laughs> and, um, and, and I had a nurse come in. And, um, and we spent three hours, I, we did dabs, we passed joints, they did a bong. Um, and, and we talked about the endocannabinoid system. We talked about THC and CBD. We talked about hemp versus cannabis, full spectrum, broad spectrum, all kinds of stuff. And, and now I'm doing that on a monthly basis, not as big, but I partner with a couple in Detroit and they have a cannabis friendly space uh, in their home. And uh, so, yeah, so we do a sort of... Um, it is like Tupperware parties made um, bong appetit. <laughs> and, um, Sign me yeah. up, I'm in. <laughs> right, so we call it we call it curiosity, uh, T T E A at the end. And um, yeah, I, I make a big batch of tea. I infuse it with water soluble CBD. Um, we have some some infused um, light bites, and um, we talk about um, how you can use this plant to um, and enhance your life. And and I think that um so. We just did our, our first monthly event was a couple weeks ago and we had 20 people and, um, and that was great. And, um, next month we are, we already have, I think 15 people booked. We, we cap it at 20 and yeah. And, and, and we're starting education that way. I'm also a member of the Michigan cannabis industry association. And so, um, we have outreach um, programs uh, through them as well, but that's an organization that's also still just getting started. And we have a yeah. lot of legalization issues and uh, legislative issues to deal with. Right now, Michigan has quite a few um, communities that have decided to opt out, um, mm -hmm. even though the people in their communities voted in, in favor of legalization. And so they have decided that they are NIMBYs 
and <laughs> they just don't want it no matter what their constituents said. And so now we have to um, find a way to make sure that the people in those communities have their voices heard and their their vote their the votes counted. <laughs> so, so now so that that's another outreach educational program because you have a lot of people, especially I'm sure you know, people over fifty are the fastest growing demographic. They they don't want to be on all these pain pills and they want information. So um, and also even on my web on, on our botanic website we had a section called Channel Q, and Channel Q was all that's me. And Channel Q was all about education and it had a link to to vetted sources of of, of trusted and, and accurate information, um, um, and and um, and and videos to help people kind of figure out how to use it, how best to use it. And so I think that you have a lot of provisioning centers that do feel that they have um, um, an obligation to educate people. And also in that part of that, that obligation to educate is to, to help dispel all the myths that have been uh, propagated about cannabis over the last 75 years. So that's, um, that's, that's part of it. So I, I think that um, we know that education um, there's a need for more education and, and some of us are, are, are answering the call, but yeah, we need more, definitely more. Um, we have the people who are full of, Oh no, weed is all about fire and getting the best stuff and, and getting blitzed. But there are some of us who want to get, you know, chill and not hurt. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, um, excuse me. I don't care to be blitzed. No. Right. <laughs> Um, is there anything that does, I laugh all the time at this, at this skit from Cat Williams, where he's like, he's like, I like, he's like, I like to smoke weed. So I called my dude up to get some weed and he like strolled up in and like, he had this little lean going on, he strolled up in the, in the dressing room and he was like, yo, I got this deaf right here. And he was like the deaf. He's like, yeah, this is, this is just going to kill you. This is going to kill you right here. You're going to be laid out. He's like the deaf. Well, I don't. I'm not hoping that. I am trying to die. I got shit to do tomorrow. <laughs> Cat Williams, if you guys need a good laugh. I love him, yeah. I love Cat Williams, but I was I was dying because I come from like the Bay Area cannabis mm -hmm. culture. Like people are like, yeah, let me get on that, you know, that gorilla blunt or whatever. And right. I'm just like, okay, cool, but like I'm all and I'm done. Right. <laughs> yeah, I'm just dying. two and through. Yeah, it doesn't have to be that serious. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, um, I, I there's definitely there's definitely I call myself a stiletto stoner because me too. Really? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Helen, your sister. You see that Mary Claire article? There was a Mary Claire article about it. And they stiletto stoner. So I, yep, I do speeches and I say, look, so you have stoners, and there are those of us who are stiletto stoners. So yeah, yeah. keep it classy, oh, San Diego. I'm like. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, it, 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 can be, it can be glamorous. It can be nice. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be crazy. Like imagine that the joint is a glass of champagne and you'll be right. fine. like, just it's classy mm -hmm. and it's fine, you know? So I think that there's still like just a huge misconception, but I think that there's also a really uh, like a sigh of relief, if you will, because now mm -hmm. for the first time ever, we're able to look, we're able to look at an alternative that doesn't feel so woo woo, you know, right. 
if somebody says, oh, go to your acupuncturist for your pinched nerve, they're like, okay, whatever, but will it work right now? You know, right. And cannabis is something that delivers like an instant result. So mm-hmm. it's, it's really earning the reputation and trust of the consumer, whether you're a new consumer or an old consumer. So I am an old consumer. That was not nice. <laughs> <laughs> experienced experienced um let me ask you this what are three pieces of advice that you could offer to a budding entrepreneur somebody who's excited about the industry can see that the changing of the times if you will um and is excited to get in they're perhaps looking at hemp or cannabis um, but they know that they want to get into this space and there's some key considerations that they should be aware of what would you say your three top um, considerations would be for getting into the industry um, well, my, my advice would be, um, first and foremost, go to one of the big conferences, um, be at the cannabis science conference, um, that happens twice a year, be at the big one that happens in Vegas, be at some that happen in, in Denver. Um, I am surprised at how many people come to me and they ask me, well, how do I get involved in this, in this industry? But they have never gone to a single convention. They don't know what's out there. So I'm like, you have to invest and yourself first, <laughs> and you have to learn this industry because it's new. And so first things first, don't, don't do anything until you just go and immerse yourself in the culture, be it, um, be it at a convention for a while. I went to Colorado. I, um, I, I drove, <laughs> I drove to Colorado and, uh, which was 23 hours by the way. <laughs> um, yeah. And, um, and yeah, I, I, um, I, so I would say first, you know, Find someone who's doing it um, and make that person your mentor. <laughs> so, uh, so first, go to a conference. Second, find a mentor. Um, and, um, and third, um, identify property. Because I, I have to say, as people all the time, it, it's, you have to figure out where you're going to do it first before you do anything else. And, 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 and in Michigan in particular, you have so many communities that um, don't allow it in other communities that only allow certain licensees and other communities that allow licensees, but only in certain places. So what's going to be the hardest thing for a lot of people is actually finding where to operate. Um, so that, that's, that's going to be really, really tough. But before you even get to that point, have your ducks in a row, know exactly what you want to do, find someone who's doing what you think you may want to do and, and pick, brain be um I, I still even though i haven't started my bakery line yet um i did train with a cannabis baker in colorado <laughs> so i'm like okay and and i still talk to her i haven't i haven't sold one cookie but it's been it's been three years since i, I I've, I've been out there um to train with her but i still call her and i and i still talk to her and, and i still bounce things um by her so i would say find your find your mentor and and um and and hold on tight. <laughs> um, yeah. I love it. Excellent words of wisdom. I will add in this segment of words of wisdom, which we always do on the Hemp Revolution podcast. Um, I will throw in um, 
Yeah, I think just to piggyback on what you're saying, um, and I, I've said this on a couple other episodes, but I just literally cannot emphasize this enough. You don't know what you don't know, especially about cannabis. And mostly what you don't know, most people don't know either, but there are the key somebodies who are willing to push the envelope and um, have built and developed the relationships with governing municipalities and can give you sort of that underlying um, foundational information that you need to be able to make your next move. Um, you know, really knowing who the best of the best is and don't skim on the advice, especially for cannabis. Find out who the top law firms are. Find out who the top accounting firms are. Find out who the um, you know, who the, just the best of the best. There's two people that you really need to be on your side in this industry. Number one is your, is your legal team. And number two <laughs> is your accounting team because audits are coming right. every year. I mean, every mm-hmm. single year and there are no tax write-offs. You cannot right. write off expenses in this industry. So believe me when I say the two people you need on your side mm-hmm. and the two people you don't want to lie to are your accountant and your lawyer. Find out who the best are. Um, for legal, I would definitely check out um, the Vicente Cedarberg firm. They have their hand in everything. They're the biggest nationally. They're fantastic when it comes to cannabis and hemp. Um, and for accounting, ask them. They have virtual CFOs. Um, Can I ask you something? I'm so glad you mentioned law um, lawyers because I, I tell people all the time, tonight, I'm sorry, I didn't mention that. Our lawyer saved us, um, and I remember when we um, when we were approached by this um, investment group to to help them and, and to, to join them. We because our lawyer is not a cannabis lawyer; he's a business lawyer. <laughs> I said, "You need someone who knows business and knows his or her way around a contract." And so when we presented him with our first initial contract, he he said, "Is there anybody in the world with money besides these people?" <laughs> Um, so we knew what we were getting into when we got into it. And so we said, write us a contract, please, that protects us. And he did that. And so now that, that you know, things, as they say, the band always breaks up, partnerships end. Um, and um, so when this partnership ended, um, our interests were protected. So we're walking away whole. And we're better than whole, actually. Yeah. So we're, we're happy um, uh, with, with what's happening um, after the fact. You know, we, I, 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 had, I, I went into this thinking that, um, that we would be um, doing this for a couple of years. And, and we still will be, just not at Botanic. <laughs> Um, but, um, but yeah, I mean, thank God that we had a lawyer who, and, and, and we're, obviously we're still, you know, we're still utilizing his services now because we haven't signed yet. <laughs> um, <laughs> supposed to happen today, but he's like, no, oh, it's so fast. Um, so yeah, so, um, the, the, a lawyer will, they cost a lot, but they'll save you so much more. Yeah. yeah you know, just. I cannot emphasize this. And some people say like, oh, well, I did this all by myself. Like, cool. I'm glad you, I'm glad mm-hmm. you went at it alone. You know, you're that unicorn and I hope nobody took right. off your fucking little magic right. thing up here. But like, <laughs> exactly. I'm, t- I'm telling you, mm-hmm. legal is just, it's so, so important. The second piece of advice that I would get would be build your brand from the start. Don't wait to start building and establishing your brand to 
Like, don't wait for your doors to open. Don't wait for product mm -hmm. to be on the shelf. Don't wait for this new thing that you're going to be doing. Just start building your brand. And in today's marketplace, people don't give two shits about your name, your right. none of that stuff. You are the reason why people are going to buy long term. The marketplace is mature right now. Okay. Mm -hmm. So they've seen the fancy gimmicks. They've seen the ice, the, the iPhone or Apple type displays. They've seen, mm -hmm. you know, all of the fancy go to Las Vegas, you know, like that's where everything is the biggest and the best and the most mm -hmm. glossy and flossy and all the things. But the thing that's going to keep you relevant long-term is your brand and how you as a person or a business owner or a representative of your company can position yourself in the marketplace. It's not just about the local community that you're serving, but the world that will be interested and in that is watching, right? The yeah. world is watching, the community is buying. And you mm -hmm. want to be ready to open yourself to a global marketplace. By the way, swag is not illegal education is not illegal, right? Um, you know, any of these ancillary products that have your name and slogan and, you know, image and whatever on it, those things are not illegal. So you can actually build an international brand being a locally, um, a locally, um, restricted company. Mm -hmm. So I definitely recommend that you start building your personal brand sooner later. I mean, look what it did for you, right? Right. Yeah, totally. Totally. And I still have other brands that I'm like, no, now that, you know, this has been acquired, mm -hmm. um, on to the next. And yeah. then it's fun. And, 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 and it's important because people, it's your brand is, is your identity mm -hmm. in this, in this industry. So it's what you stand for. It's what you, what you promote, what you, who you are. So yeah, get on it early and stay on it, especially yeah. because take a while because our, our avenues are restricted. Yeah. And that's my final, you know, in my three and a half years of being online with the cannabis and hemp movement, I have been able to navigate and troubleshoot myself through the biggest challenge in the industry, which is marketing and advertising. Mm -hmm. There's three, there's really three challenges that will prevent you from being as successful as you'd like banking and merchant processing, marketing, advertising, and stable supply chain. But when it comes to marketing and advertising that has its direct alignment with building an international brand or just building yourself as a, a local recognizable trusted figure, um, you know, marketing and advertising, there's kind of two ways to go about it. There's the traditional way where you're just like trying to put yourself in in flow with the rest of the brands and where mm -hmm. people are going to be exposed and you're trying to be the billboard on the freeway um, per se. What the, our approach has been building a community and through the building of communities, we've been able to access hundreds of millions of people, um, getting direct, building direct relationships with millions of people. And I think that it's been such a powerful loophole in the advertising game because when most people are getting shut down for mentioning cannabis, we are thriving in the marketing and advertising space. So a lot of the brands, a lot of businesses are coming to us right now trying to figure out how can we duplicate your results and high level, I'm just explaining that there's a pretty significant difference between building a community and then just spending money to be placed where other people are placed. It's cool to be in vogue, but like if you're Gucci and you're in vogue next to 50 other designer bags, like why am I, I just flip the page. I'm subscribed right. to Vogue. Vogue's <laughs> getting my money though. Gucci's not. Mm -hmm. 
you know? So Mm -hmm. in my opinion, it's like for status, it's cool to be in the Vogue magazine for cannabis, but it's even cooler to have your own Vogue. Right. And (laughs) you have, you know, a list of subscribers who want to be a part of your community, your culture, your thing. So along with building your own brand, build your community of followers, Mm -hmm. and then you will have an internal traffic source that you can buy once, but pitch to over and over and over again. Um, Kim Kardashian, Kylie Jenner, these are like huge examples of how they built a community and are able to you know, do six, seven figure launches for brands with one post. So it's a, um, it's different than being an influencer. Right. That's almost a derogatory term for me. Um, Mm -hmm. but knowing that you have a community of supporters, a cause, something that's bigger than yourself that pulls people together and orients them towards one cause, that's the community. And if you can build that, you can build anything. So Yeah. That is my words of wisdom for today. <laughs> and I feel wiser, so thank you. <laughs> you know, my, my wheels are turning. I'm like, yeah, right. So yeah, I got some things I got to work on. Yeah. Yes, it's so I'm happy to help however I can too, because this is just, it's something that we've been able to do super, and super, super well. And it doesn't cost a ton of money. It does take, it's the long, you know, it's definitely the scenic route. Um, Mm -hmm. to the destination, but it is a longer term solution um, rather than you spend the time and the money now. And let's, let's say three years ago, I spent the time and the money to build my community online. You know, 12 months later is when I made my first six figures from my audience. And now we're in, you know, the um, 18, 24 months, even after that, of the day of, um, of uh, inception for our community and we're pulling, you know, multiple six figures out of the audience. And it's, it's a, a really good value exchange. They're consistently asking me like, what else can we get from you rather than me being like, Hey, what about my shit? <laughs> you know, so, so it's a really, really good exchange and you can have a value driven community is, is just like such a powerful way to be able to loophole your way through the restriction around marketing and advertising online. Um, final question for you is what is next? What are you most excited about doing now that you are launching off the lily pad? And (laughs) you know, um, they always say, if I knew what I knew then, um, but now that you know what you know, and you have done what you've done, and again, making a quantum leap in such a short amount of time, what's next for you? What's, what are you most excited to focus on? Um, I've got a couple of projects in the works I'm, I'm really excited about. Obviously, I'm, I'm continuing with curiosity. So that's my educational outreach. And uh, so once a month, you know, I'm doing those tea parties and um, bringing in a community of women um, and showing them how this plant can help enhance their lives. Um, so that'll continue and that'll grow. I've also, because the... Uh, the, the bigger tea party was um, such a success. I'm going to do those at least twice a year, um, but they're going to be bigger and they're going to be more more of a high tea, more you know fancy hats and all that kind of stuff. So um, yes, I'll um, be there. Thank you, thank you. And um, my husband, um, I found that. Oh, I'm also a, a member of the board of directors for the Michigan Cannabis Industry Association. So. I have a lot of things I'm going on with there. Obviously, working on the legislative side, we still um, we're still working on expungement, 
course, set-asides of, of cannabis-related crimes and misdemeanors. And um, so I'm, I'm becoming more involved with, with them and uh, doing more things on the legislative side to make sure, as I said earlier, that people's votes are, um, are, are counted and their wishes are adhered to. Um, let's see, there's that. Um, oh, and the big thing is um, I'm from Indiana originally. And Indiana is um, Indiana is implementing a hemp program, and so I'm, I'm trying to get my sister to become involved in that. And um, so we're going we're going to a conference next month um, with with um, in Indiana. And ma- next year, my goal is to um, start the process of legalizing Indiana. <laughs> yes, girl. <laughs> yes. Yes, it's it's you know you have Illinois, you have Michigan, you have Indiana right in the middle. It's my hometown. I still go home. Um, I still go there very often. My family, my mom is there, my parents are there, my nephews, my sister. And uh, and every time I go home, people are like, can you bring me something? I'm like, no, I can't. I'm sorry. <laughs> so, um, I, yeah, so I am, um, Indiana needs to be the next domino to fall in the Midwest. Um, yeah. So, yeah, and also, um, even though Botanic is in Detroit, and so obviously I'm not going to be so involved with Botanic as anymore, I still have a, a, a huge place in my heart for Detroit, and I, and I want to do something in Detroit. I haven't figured out what it will be yet, but I'm working on it. And it's going to be exciting if I can pull it off. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, so I have a couple of things in, in, in the works, but uh, for now, um, hopefully we'll, we'll sign these, uh, these papers and, and um, on to the next, as they say, or as Ariana Grande says, go on okay. vacation. <laughs> oh, we're, we're planning on vacations. <laughs> January, we're not going to be in this country, but, uh, but yeah, <laughs> I mean, I trip, a huge family trip, um, a celebratory, um, we're going to celebrate. Yes. <laughs> celebratory. Thank you. Yes. You're <laughs> See, welcome. See, I could say that, but I couldn't right? say <laughs> per- provisional area or whatever we would. <laughs> um, well, amazing. I am so honored and so excited to meet you. I can't wait to watch your journey. I definitely want to come to one of the high teas. I'm all about, I'm all about um, community building. And I just absolutely love getting, especially getting in touch with like the women, um, you know, 80% of the buying that happens in the household is done by women, first of all. Second of all, we are the voices of reason in our children. So I'm mm-hmm. super passionate about just being able to humanize a subject that has been taboo for so long. And if there's any way that I can support your community, it's actually my community too. My family's <laughs> up in Livonia. So happy to be a part of that and just really excited to continue to follow your journey and all the cool things that I know you're going to be doing once you get back from vacation. Yes. <laughs> Congratulations on the sale of your company. That's also very exciting. Any last words before we finish today's episode? Oh, no, I don't. And I appreciate you for asking. I used to ask that question too. Um, <laughs> and, uh, no, I, I think you, you covered it all and then some. So thank you. And thank you for what you are doing in the community. Thank you for being a voice of, as you said, reason and education um, and awareness and, and, um, and, and just what you've done to, to forward the movement. Um, can't say thank you enough, but um, your efforts are sincerely and deeply appreciated so thank you for all that you're doing and continue to do so i can't wait to tell more people about it 
Yes, yes. Super exciting. Hey, for those of you guys who are tuning in on today's episode, thank you so much for being a part of our community. It is our mission here at the Hemp Revolution to make sure that you are getting the truth about cannabis and hemp so that you can make educated, empowered decisions about how you want to treat yourself, the people that you love, and the conditions that you may be suffering from. If you are a budding entrepreneur or existing business, hitting a glass ceiling, or just not quite sure what the best or next move for you to make is, check us out at theemeraldcircle.com. And if you are a person who is looking to get in touch with products that you can rely on to deliver the results that you are looking for, check us out at medicalsecrets.com. I'm your hostess with the mostess, Sonia Gomez, and this is The Hemp Revolution. We'll see you on our next show, guys. Thanks for listening to this episode. We took notes on this episode for you, along with all the links and resources mentioned in the episode. Get them free on the show notes page here at www.medicalsecrets.com. If you love this show and our content, please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you really want to help us get the message out there, please rate, review, and tell all your friends. With your help, we can continue to reach the world with our message. And until next time, we hope you join the hemp revolution. And we challenge you to dream big and love the life you live.